All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Bonanza, Lucky Strike Resources, Helio Resources, Marathon Gold, Meadow Bay Gold, Metanor Resources, Merix Gold, Brazil Resources, American Bonanza, and Paramount Gold and Silver. Well, I'm really happy to have with me a friend and... Uh, uh, Jeff Dice, he is a, a tax attorney. Uh, he had a good practice in California, but he returned to Washington to become Ron Paul's chief of staff. And uh, so, welcome, Jeff. Good to have you back again. Yes, Jay, and I hope you're enjoying the left coast <laughs> on your recent travels. I have to tease you a little bit since I know yeah. you're you're a hardcore New Yorker. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm very much at home, whether it's New York or California. California is a, a little more interesting, though. I think, in many ways, a, a little a little flakier out here. Uh, San Francisco, especially, it's uh, a good place to wear a pink shirt, which is what I'm doing today. It, well, it, they both share one thing in common, which is they are ground zero for uh, ludicrous, bubblicious housing prices. Well, we were just talking to Fat, Kathy Fedeke about that, exactly about that, and she. Uh, she lives uh, in Los Angeles and has uh, actually went to school here in, in San Francisco, went to college and got her degree. But uh, uh, and California is not one place she would uh, advocate investing, but she does say that she can find some great uh, some great investment opportunities in places like Dallas and Atlanta, and, and uh, you know she mentioned other places in the Midwest uh, as well. But uh, I'd like to focus maybe for the start of today's show, uh, Jeff, on a discussion with you about the European situation and the rumor that the IMF uh, was going to provide some bailout money for Europe. Uh, do you have any? Is that a, is that something that's going forward, as far as you know? Well, discussions are ongoing. Obama's meeting with some European leaders. Uh, you know, there's no question that that there's at least the idea of the U.S. Fed helping to bail out the ECB whether that's directly or indirectly to the IMF, I'm not sure. But I will say this. They're going to do whatever the hell they want to do, Jay. And uh, we're going to be, we, you know, us mere peasants are going to find out about it uh, maybe a couple years later by begging and pleading uh, through the Freedom of Information Act or, uh, you know, through uh, the, the limited audit of the Fed that was passed as uh, part of the, the Dodd-Frank bill. But uh, Lord knows we, we won't know about it ahead of time, and we won't be able to vote on it or uh, let our elected representatives know about it before it happens. Yeah, that's an encouraging note. 
Well, we're just finding out today, we're reading that, uh, that over the Thanksgiving weekend, the Fed uh, re- released some sort of bad data, again, about some of its shenanigans in 08. And what we had was the, uh, the New York Fed then pro- uh, basically forecasting this, this rate of growth in the economy, which, is, which turned out to be about several times what it really was. Because now when we go back to 08 and look at the real numbers, it's probably, probably about a negative 3.3% in, in GDP for 08. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff that we find out several years later from the Fed. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting on the one hand, but it's also discouraging. I mean, yeah. I think that uh, Congressman Paul deserves a lot of the credit for even this slight veneer yeah. of, of transparency we've gotten. And it's interesting to see, you know, recently Bernanke was down at uh, Fort Hood in Texas yeah. greeting some of the troops and just a, a ludicrous, a, a bizarre display and, and I think, in large part, thanks to the efforts of Ron Paul, the Fed in recent years has felt the need to go on this sort of public relations charm offensive. Yeah, yeah. And this is, a, this is astonishing, really, because back in the, in the good old Greenspan days, they thought that they were completely above any kind of scrutiny. Right. And, they, and Greenspan would never have been out there on the hustings, you know, shaking hands. But, but Jay, to think of these poor soldiers coming back, these men and women, to, an, an, a, you know, a devastated economy, a devastated mm-hmm. jobs market, a devastated housing market. Mm-hmm. All courtesy of, of Mr. Greenspan and Mr. Bernanke, yeah, and, and ha- coming back, uh, God bless them from these terrible wars, which the Fed has done so much, of course, to fund, yep. through through uh, its issuance of Treasury debt. Uh, we could never have funded it just through taxes. So it's it's a strange time, but uh, I, I will say this: that that we ha- at least have the Fed. I won't say on the ropes, but they've certainly taken notice, and they're. You know, when they're proactively out there trying to, to sell uh, some, some rosy Fed story to uh, soldiers at Fort Hood, I think that that tells you that the, the voices and, uh, against the Fed are, are, are you know, being noticed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jeff, I couldn't help but uh, sort of think about how popular Ron is with the troops. Uh, and the Fed, Ron Absolutely. Paul, and uh, uh, you know he gets uh, as we've talked about before when we've had you on the show. Ron has gotten more money from uh, more ca- campaign contributions from uh, from our soldiers uh, than all the other Republicans put together, and more than Obama as well. So that has to be. I would think that that must be noticed by Mr. Bernanke. I mean, here's a guy that that wants to really revolutionize and turn us back to what our founding fathers wanted, and and fought that revolution for to go back to get rid of this enslavement that we are being now asked to uh, to shoulder and to become slaves once again of of a ruling elite uh that um you know i mean it it has to it has to be something that he's that he's cognizant of wouldn't you think so well i would hope so and there's some very fascinating history of course on how periods of war are always periods of inflation and debt Mm-hmm. And uh, and deficit spending, uh, uh, the United States of America, such as it was, ran huge deficits during the Civil War period. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of monetary historians who will tell you, or who will argue that World War One, or the U.S. involvement at least in World War One, would not have been possible without the creation of the of the U.S. Fed a couple years earlier, um, that allowed again a period of deficit spending to 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 happen without having to, you know, actually go to the uh, to taxpayers, yeah, uh, for to to finance the war, yeah. Well, that's the. Tr- I mean, that's that's the whole that's the whole scheme. That's the whole. I mean, the lies that have been told to our servicemen. They go off and risk their lives, and uh, and I suppose to a great extent, uh, a lot of these men and women are going into the service because they can't find jobs. 
Sure, absolutely. And they're coming home and finding that uh, they can't find them on the back end of their uh, enlistment either. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why it was a, it was a bit much to uh, see Bernanke down no. there. Uh, very distasteful. Very. It, it really made me angry when I saw that. I must. I must confess that. Interestingly enough, I did. Uh, I did read that article you were referring to uh, about the Fed and how they sort of uh, dumped. Uh, they dumped their bad news on the market uh, at a time uh, into the news media at a time when nobody was paying attention. Saturdays and right after Thanksgiving and everything. And there was some talk in there about how they could not have known that the mortgage market would go so wrong. And interestingly enough, I'm hoping to have on this show a guest who was a, a lady. I won't mention her name right now, but if she agrees to come on the show, I will, of course, talk about her. Uh, I just met somebody here at the San Francisco show who knows this economist, former economist with the Fed, who was fired because she was warning about the housing bubble. She was left go and, in fact, uh, hoping uh, now possibly to go to work with Meredith Whitney. But uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I thought to myself, this is this is outrageous because, you know, the Fed is now saying, well, the, you know, nobody could have seen what was coming uh, in the housing bubble, and yet they had an insight, they had a, an economist there that was writing papers and insisting that we change our policies, and they, she got fired because of it. So uh, it's just, it, you know, just another thing, Jeff, that just makes my blood boil. Well, to say that they couldn't have known is so preposterous if they never heard of the Case-Shiller Index and Mr. Schiller. Uh, have they never heard of Peter Schiff? Yeah. Have they have they never heard of Ron Mark Paul. Faber? Faber? Have they never heard of Ron Paul? I mean, there were lots of people out there saying that the, David Tice, the, the growth in housing prices and the and the growth in the money supply was unsustainable in a bubble. Uh, so so that's that's preposterous. But I'm not surprised that the the lady you mentioned was fired from the Fed. Um, you know, the Fed has. Uh, uh, basically, an entire industry of court economists. Um, there's a fascinating article is on Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is perhaps almost a year ago now by a gentleman named Ryan Grimm, and it's called "Priceless: How the Federal Reserve Bought the Economics Profession." Mm-hmm. And basically, it goes into great detail to show how so many American economists, and particularly monetary economists, have at least in some point in their career been on the Fed payroll mm-hmm. in one way or another as a, as a direct employee, as someone who's being paid as an academic to, be, to write papers, etc. Mm-hmm. So basically you have an economics profession such that it, it is in America that's, <laughs> that's beholden to the Fed and is, is encouraged to sort of uh, support the Fed mm-hmm. in, in the sense that their own, um, their own uh, making a living depends on it oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So um, I, really, I really encourage that people to read that HuffPost article and uh, and find out just how bought and paid for the uh, uh, ec- economists in America really are. Yeah, what was the title of the article? Bought it's called for? Priceless, How the Federal Reserve Bought the Economics Profession oh, I like by a, 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 a young man named Ryan Grimm. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, it's, it's interesting, and again, it's, it's outrageous. Jeff, we, uh, we have the you know, Occupy Wall Street crowd, the Occupy people. I've been to Hong Kong recently. There's groups of people there occupying... A space in Hong Kong. I was in. Uh, where else was I? I was uh, I, I was in uh, Zurich, uh, or actually Geneva, a week ago or so. Geneva, Switzerland. There was an Occupy group there. I was here in San Francisco, down by the uh, down down by the uh, by the water, and um, there was an Occupy group here. There's an Occupy group around the world. There was Occupy people. People are occupying and angry as hell about what's going on 
and how uh, the middle class is being robbed and, and indebted and in, uh, becoming indentured servants. Everybody, there's a growing amount of anger out there. Do you think this is a good thing? Well, I'm not sure it's a good thing because I'm not sure it's being channeled in the right ways. I mean, there's, at least as far as the U.S. movements are concerned, there, there, there seems to be a, a vague or somewhat dim understanding um, uh, of the ill effects of the Federal Reserve, but there seems to be little or no understanding of the ill effects of big government, which yeah. is really the, the source of all this. Um, so I'm just not sure that, that anger without an understanding of the root causes of our current problems is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, people have to understand that that bankers and corporations don't have any advantages over you know market forces that the government doesn't give them, right. doesn't grant them, or or regulate or or legislate. And and the greatest regulator, the fairest uh, regulator, is is true market forces. Right. And I'm from what I've seen, the vast majority of protesters don't understand the market, they would have no faith in it, and yet they would somehow, while at the same time they see corporations as evil, they uh, think that there are some, that there are angels who can somehow occupy government. Yeah. And if we just reform government, well, that, that's an absurd argument. It's, yeah. it's been proven wrong over and over again. It's, we don't need to reform government. We have to understand that government is very dangerous and it needs to be kept as small as it possibly can be and still provide you know, basic constitutional functions at the federal level. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't think that Occupy Wall Street is the, uh, the, the future or the outlet for liberty-minded folks in America. I think Ron Paul and his campaign for the moment are that outlet. Um, there, there's certainly lots of others, and, but, uh, you know, there's no third way, Jay. There's, there's statism, and then there's liberty, and in between that, we're just talking about matters of degree. There, this idea that there's somehow some some third way that you know, or or reform or different different kinds of regulations, you know, it just isn't true. Basically, you have you've got Ron Paul on one end, you've got the Stalins and the Hitlers on the other. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I say to Occupy Wall Street protesters, you know, take your pick. Yeah. It's, it's uh, what? Where did we go wrong? I mean, this is what you're talking about. Is what our founding fathers knew. And, you know, market economics, which are not that complicated, Jeff. They would, you know, the Keynesians want to make us believe that you need to be a mathematician to understand mathematics. But my mother, who went through her sophomore year in high school, understands supply and demand, understands the real world better than a lot of these guys with fancy PhDs in economics. You know, the notion that people will supply more when the price is up and they'll consume less when the price is up and... You know, I mean, it's just, it's just human nature. Where did we go wrong? People don't have any understanding. All these people out there, most of them, many of them, out on Occupy Wall Street, and I went down and checked them out, they've got degrees, they're articulate, they can speak well, many of them, and yet they don't understand any of this stuff. How did we go wrong? Where, how did our educational system let us down? Well, it's the history of the 20th century, and either not teaching economics or all teaching Keynesianism, but... Look, you know, Mises observed that, Ludwig von Mises observed that, that economics is human action. To, to make oneself ignorant of economics is to, is to willfully evade reality. Yeah. It's not a good way to go through one's personal life or one's economic life. Um, and so, you know, all people need to do is, is pick up some books. There's a, there are a multitude of free books on economics at Mises.org. 
so I would say that the, that the average Occupy Wall Street protester has no one to blame but him or herself for their economic illiteracy or innumeracy, however you might want to put it. But mm-hmm. uh, the bottom line here is that academics in the, in the 20th century in America and in the West became enamored of collectivism. And uh, that took a deep, deep hold in our society, both in the media and in our, in our institutions amongst our young people. And um, it's, we've never really gotten rid of it. I mean, there, there are... St- still a, a, a very significant portion of American citizens who I think essentially believe that America should be a social democracy, um, something that libertarians would call socialism, mm-hmm. um, who believe there should be a cradle-to-grave welfare state, uh, and who believe that uh, government can do a better job than markets in allocating resources, that we have to have limits on uh, wealth inequality, etc. And, and these you know, all of these thoughts are completely incompatible with freedom. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can't just snap our fingers and, and think, well, if we elect Ron Paul, everything will be okay. It's, no. These are deep-rooted problems. They've taken, they've taken hold over many decades. And, uh, um, you know, even now after, in the Soviet Union, after the Soviet collapse, there are still p- plenty of folks in Russia, uh, for, especially in the older generations, who, who think it was better under the old way. Yeah. Um, so, you know... Um, Liberty is, is uh, I think, our natural state, and it's what God intended for us as, as human beings. But, uh, you know, you put slaves under the yoke long enough, and they'll start to like it. Yeah, uh, the slaves then feel free when they were uh, when they were emancipated to be able to, you know. The, 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 you know, I think maybe you just hit on something and one of the reasons why we are where we are, and that is that human, maybe it's regression. You know, maybe it's a psychological thing. We want to be taken care of. We don't want to take the, um, the, the chances uh that free enterprise, free markets require, uh, and uh, and so we basically give up those liberties and those freedoms, and in the process, of course, give up our our wealth, give up um, the, the the high standard of living that we have have had. Clearly, if everybody is on this parasitic, um, uh, you know, take care of me binge, um, nobody left to create the wealth. Jeff, you uh, mentioned uh, if we just uh, elect Ron Paul, we're not going to. It's not going to solve our problems. It's, it's a much. It's a very deep-seated issue. But many people in this show that listen to this show certainly would like to see him elected. How are things going in his campaign? Well, I, I'm. I think they're going well. He's got a, a big organization, in Iowa, and I think a good one. Um, I certainly hope that uh, he does well there. It, it, you know, there is a significant portion of of Republican primary voters who insist on on adhering to or, or uh, you know expressing allegiance for the, the disastrous foreign policy of the, of the GOP in the last ten years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have the neoconservative interventionist foreign policy, or you can have limited government. Mm-hmm. You can't have both, mm-hmm. and uh, we're just going to have to see what. Uh, how those voters come across in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and Nevada, some of the early primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really too early to tell. I, I will say this. A lot of the other candidates have their ups and downs. Uh, Herman Cain is having his troubles now. Michelle Bachman had her time in the, in the sun, and she's now faded in the polls. Uh, Newt Gingrich is sort of the, uh, the uh, you know on the upswing at the moment. But if you look at Ron Paul's support, it's been steady, um, ho- hopefully rising. So uh, we shall see. I think he's going to surprise some people. Is there anybody, um, I mean, I can't think of anybody else other than Ron who recognizes the overreach of American foreign policy. Is there anybody else there on that stage with Ron Paul that thinks that America should cut back and re- retreat to its borders? 
Well, for all of their talk, none of the candidates of either party, other than Dr. Paul, seem to really understand that the greatest threat is, of course, our own bankruptcy and our own uh, national depression. Uh, that's a greater threat than any terrorist or any foreign nation. And, uh, you know, our foreign policy and our, our, our military spending over the last decade has added precipitously to that uh, debt and the, to those deficits. So, you know, let me put it this way. Congressman Paul's foreign policy is going to prevail eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it may not be by any choice or by, because it's adopted amongst people. It's just going to be because we're, gonna, we're so broke and our ability to borrow money is going to dry up. Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, the Fed is going to find or the Treasury is going to find no more buyers for its for its Treasury debt. Mm-hmm. We might be able to prop ourselves up for a few years while the euro struggles and the American dollar seems safer by contrast. But at some point, there's going to come at some point soon. There's going to come an end to our borrowing, and then if the Fed just wants to sort of buy up its our own Treasury debt and just you know monetize it more quickly or more directly, then you know, we, we will have hyperinflation, um, you know, so, so by any measure, there's, there, we're, we're pretty close to our debt limit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that, that means that our foreign policy and our foreign expenditure are going to change whether, whether the uh, neoconservatives want it to or not. That's the reality. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the Occupy Wall Street, the growing anger throughout the country, uh, I would certainly think that uh, at some point policymakers may be forced to make some decision, cut back overseas to to take care of things at home, if if indeed there's even enough uh, financial wherewithal to do that. But uh, switching topics a little bit here, I see uh, there was a ruling by a U.S. judge on uh, on an SEC deal that was uh, uh, that was uh, struck with Citigroup. The SEC and Citi had agreed for Citi to pay $285 million for misleading investors in the purchase of mortgage-backed securities. Uh, and, you know, the traditional thing is neither admitting uh, or denying wrongdoing. And the judge apparently said, no, I'm not going to let this go through. Uh, he said that he was going to, uh, uh, he said that the SEC needed to bring in more, bring in more evidence before he would could make a ruling on it. Are you familiar with this case at all? Well, that's interesting. Why would, you know, to, to my way of thinking, why wouldn't the SEC make that payment to the defrauded investors? Why in God's name should it make it to the SEC? Pay a fine to the government. Yeah. Heck, pay a fine to the victims. Yeah. Yeah. So what does the government, what's the SEC, and these kind of deals, and the SEC just takes it and, and throws it into the government coffers? Well, I suspect the SEC probably keeps it on their own balance sheet. <laughs> on their own balance sheet, and that yeah, way they but, can uh, keep that, their nice, you know, cushy uh, jobs and so uh, forth. If, I'm, I suppose they could always use it to pay down the debt. <laughs> yes, $285 million. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, That's uh, just an afternoon of, of uh, Congress naming post offices or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really discouraging. I see also uh, another news item here that Barney Frank... Uh, is retiring. What's going on there? Well, he's retiring, um, and uh, he's being lavish in the press as this uh, great financial mind, and how he's going to go teach at Harvard or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, he's 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 a you know sharp debater and 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 quick on his feet, mm-hmm. which makes him stand out in Congress. But uh, you know, he was he was deeply wrong about uh, everything, and. Uh, you know, he uh, hopefully uh, 
Dodd-Frank doesn't become the monster that Sarbanes-Oxley did in its ultimate effects. But uh, for people who are concerned about the dollar and concerned about debt and concerned about uh, you know, rational housing markets, um, he, I, I hope that history will correctly show him on the wrong side of those issues. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on who writes the history books, perhaps. But the Financial Times headline read, uh, Wall Street reformer Frank retires. So he's a Wall Street reformer. What reforms? Well, I guess those are the reforms that are uh, leading so much Wall Street money into Mr. Obama's 2012 campaign. Yeah. Uh, I guess they're those kind of reforms. Yeah, reforms also that, uh, that chased uh, investors out of the U.S. too. But again, Jay, note how, how our media just accepts and adopts uh, the, the language mm-hmm. of collectivism, like reform. Yeah. This, this need for constant reform. Mm-hmm. You know, the McCain's, the John McCain's of the world present that stuff too. Uh, that, that's a very Soviet concept. It's a very utopian leftist concept. It's not mm-hmm. a conservative concept that, that, that society and government are, you know, in constant need of reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just when, you know, when you hear about the financial reform and this and that, um, you know, I wish people just wouldn't swallow that kind of language without thinking about it a little harder. Yeah. One, one more thing, Jeff, before we let you go, I wanted to bring up, and this is the issue that's, uh, you know, we've had Obama uh, and the U.S. government now takes the liberty to use drones to kill its own citizens without them ever having a trial. And there's some discussion going through now, I think, through Congress about the ability to, to, uh, to take Americans off the streets at any time if they're considered to be an enemy of the state. Is there something like that that's, that's being discussed in Congress? Yes, well, there's our annual defense appropriation bill that's going through the Senate today. And there's actually some excellent uh, uh, back and forth between Senator Rand Paul and uh, Senator John McCain, which is already available on YouTube. I think it's already on uh, Judge Napolitano's uh, Fox Business website. Mm-hmm. Someone wants to see that. But basically what we're talking about here for the first time is, is an amendment to the defense authorization bill by Mr. McCain, Senator McCain, that says, well, gee whiz, we ought to be able to... Uh, treat American citizens as enemy combatants, rather than than uh, you know giving them s- civilian trials, even even here in America. Wow! In other words, we're not just talking about some uh, uh, Muslim American who goes off to Afghanistan there or someplace and and declares himself you know a member of the Taliban. We're, you know we're talking about someone who could just just on the basis of being a suspect as identified and defined by the U, US prosecutors I suppose by the mm-hmm. US federal government mm-hmm. could be basically seized and detained without trial right uh, god knows where i mean we all know about the, the the places we know about like Guantanamo but uh by all accounts there are secret places run by the CIA and others that we don't know about um so you know uh being a suspect of, of uh, is is a very broad thing, and uh, you know, uh, if you read, if you go to Judge Napolitano's website, he has a very scathing statement on this, basically saying that any any member of Congress who supports this needs to be voted out of office. Good. Let's uh, let's work on that, and also um, um, uh, let's cheer on um, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who is uh, going to seek a trial of George W. Bush for murder. Uh, and his um, uh, the way he led us into under false pretenses into uh, into Iraq. I think you know people have to start getting really angry and but using their heads, of course. And uh, this is really good, Jeff. Thanks 
so much for coming on. We are out of time. We're going to have to go to our next to our uh, to our um, commercials night right now because those guys pay the bills, and then we're going to be with Roger Wiegand. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on. Thank you, Look Jay. forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. He'll have some ideas uh, on investing in these uh, very tumultuous markets. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Capitalizing on North America's gold assets, Marathon Gold Corp. MOZ on the TSX is building value through resource development in Newfoundland and Idaho. Q1 2012 is expected to be a rewarding time for Marathon, with an update resource estimate expected on its economic leprechaun gold deposit in Newfoundland, and an initial resource estimate is expected at the same time on its Golden Chest project in Idaho, a historical producer. Don't miss this opportunity to capitalize on today's gold price. For more info, visit www.marathon-gold.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. 
Rye Patch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatschap Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, it doesn't happen often enough, but we have Roger Wiegand, who is one of my two partners. Chen Lin was with us at the start of today's show, and Roger Wiegand is with us. And this, this time, at least, we're giving him a few minutes uh, longer to talk than we do many times. So, Roger, welcome. Thank you, Jay. Roger, you... Um, I think that you have some opinions on where gold is going now. Uh, what are the charts telling you? Well, as you know, I follow the futures to try to stay on top of it. We're looking today at the February uh, futures price. Uh, trading is done for today. Last price after hours, $1,720. Uh, they did open today at 1715 Close was at 1718 That's after hours. Uh, volume and open interest is down considerably, but that's only because we just flipped over from the December contract to the February just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So as it stands right now, what we're seeing on the chart, we've got a, a nice uh, rally up in the chart from the end of September. Uh, the first or second week of November, we were down, we peaked out, and we sold off. We were up there at... Uh, 1785 roughly came back down to 1665 and now the contract is up at around 1720. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing that, that really pleases me is we're seeing higher lows, higher highs on this chart. And in addition to that, Jay, uh, we've got the consolidation of a full five wave correction just behind us. Mm-hmm. And we're opening this new contract now and we did a wave two today. That was right on schedule. The wave counts look perfect. Tomorrow, if it's correct, 
we should move on up in Wave 3, which is the big one. Mm-hmm. As we have mentioned before, Wave 3s, they can continue for a couple of days, maybe even three days, and we that is the largest wave of five going up. Mm-hmm. Now, the large waves in gold that we've seen most recently have been between 50 and $65 trade in one day. Mm-hmm. That's a big bunch. Mm-hmm. So if, in fact, that does happen... I think we can go back to uh, 1785 here rather quickly. Mm. So it could be a trading opportunity. People want to buy GTU or something to make a few bucks uh, over the next few days. It might be might be a way to go. Absolutely, and we did notice today too that some of our favorite stocks are starting to move. Uh, Predium stock today, for example, was one of our favorites. They were up over two dollars today because they had a good report on some new resource values that they were they've been drilling. Oh yeah, big 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 numbers that's, that's coming out of there. Yes, I'm deal. aware of that. Uh, in, a, in addition to that, uh, we've got a new stock that we're uh, recommending this week, uh, junior stock that we like that, that's looking very good in Nevada, and we've also got uh, some other things in the stock sector which are showing indications of early nibbling. As you know, usually that what will happen, Jay, that the, the metals will go first and get on on their legs and get moving up higher, and then the stocks come a few days later in a following pattern and begin to go up as well. Now, since the broader stock markets in our forecast uh, should go higher through probably the middle of December, I think we've got about two to two and a half weeks on the bull side, not only for the broader markets, but also for gold, silver, and all the related shares. Mm. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, we are in tax selling season. I would think that that might create some downside pressure, though. Well, it, that's true, and, and others have mentioned that as well. But and we've got a holiday in there, which which does slow things down a bit. But we've noticed uh, since the Lehman event, uh, there's been quite a bit more gold uh, and silver trading. Oddly enough, between Christmas and New Year's, between the 26th and and the and the 31st. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why people bother to do that at that time, but uh, it seems that the January effect is going backwards and coming back into December. Hmm. So we find look? that very interesting. How does silver look now, Raj? Silver is uh, just about $32 on the most active March. It was down eight-tenths of 1%. It was off 27 cents today. Uh, today being a wave two, that's not a big deal. I just looked at that fresh chart, Jay, about uh, a few minutes ago, and what that chart is showing for March is we've got a sideways, very compact and tight uh, continuation pattern. It's almost like a coiled spring. In fact, some of the techies refer to that pattern as a coil. Mm -hmm. And usually what happens after that is there'll be a big breakout, and we're hopeful that it's going to break out to the upside. Mm Mm-hmm. What about uh, oil? The oil oil markets were pretty strong today. What, the oil markets that? have done exceedingly well, and the thing that I like about that is the fact that uh, the big hedge funds and and the traders that buy baskets of commodities, they go in and they buy a basket of eight or ten different commodities, including oil, gold, and silver, uh, with maybe you know a hundred, two hundred million dollars. Primarily, they are in that trade because they want to buy the oil. Half of the basket is the oil. And they've been buying the basket lately, which has been driving up all commodities and specifically driving oil. Now, oil prices today, we're looking at January futures now. Uh, last price, $99.58, up a dollar thirty-five. 
Uh, oil opened today at 97 and three quarters. Uh, hit a high over $100.15, and then it came back on a little bit of profit taking. That kind of a two or three dollar move will induce profit taking because there's so much money in oil. Now yeah. the volumes look good on oil. Uh, we're in a trading range on oil from 98.50 to 102.50. Uh, the next push up is going to be a trading range of 92.50 to 106.50. I'm so, yeah, uh, 102.50 to 96.50, over $100. They go seem to go in $4 jumps. Mm-hmm. So it would be 102 to 106. When oil prices do get to 105, 106, they are stuck usually for a while simply because that is very hard price resistance area. Uh, those oil prices are 106, 108, 110, and then that goes up to 115 and then 120. If you look at an intermediate chart, which is about 90 days, we see crude oil in February at $120. Hmm. Well, that's a, some uh, good money to be made. But, Roger, as I'm listening to you talk, it seems to me that what's going on is a lot of speculation in these markets, though. Well, I would say that, absolutely, Jay, yeah. because uh, people are, are wondering what stocks are going to do. They've been meandering. They don't know whether to sit still, to sell, or to buy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more speculation going on with call options and stocks mm-hmm. and also the fact that the futures traders have been very busy. Yeah. Uh, the grains were knocked down, uh, wheat, corn, and beans, because we are at the end of the harvest season, and the expirations on those grains were in November-December contracts, which now have all expired. But what we do typically in our annual trading is to buy the bottom, so to speak, if we can find it, in each of those grains and uh, for longer positions further out on spreads. So yesterday we bought a lot of corn, and I did personally on spreads for July of next year. Mm-hmm. And we're hopeful that we'll be able to sell those spreads and exit them probably within the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that we've got the simplification of markets these days is risk trade on, risk trade off. And when we have major problems and uh, credit implosions, uh, problems of debt uh, settlements and so forth in, in Europe or, or in America or wherever, that it tends to spook the markets and the, the risk trade is off. Then we see the oil prices come down, we see everything coming down together pretty much in nominal prices. But one thing that we have seen is the real price of gold since Lehman Brothers has risen very dramatically, Roger, and we're seeing profits for the major gold mining pro- uh, companies really surging. And I think this is really good news for the, for the juniors, at least those that can stay afloat and not have to issue too many shares in what's been a very rough market for the juniors. But is, is it your sense that the juniors might be ready to start moving next year? I think they're starting to nibble now. Of course, the ones that do that are the ones that are the best of the best. But if you take them as a general group, I would say, Jay, your statement's correct. I would look into probably the first, second, third week of January when everything really starts to get rolling. Mm-hmm. This week in our newsletter in Trader Tracks, I showed four charts of major mining companies like uh, Barrick and Hecla and Newmont and the GDX, the GDM rather, the idea being I wanted people to be able to see uh, what those seniors were doing, many of them being a proxy for our whole industry. Yeah. By example, Gold Corp is such a big premium blue chip company that if you can follow a trend reasonably well on that one, it's kind of like a leader, and it shows where things are going to go. 
Well, how have those guys been doing? Because their profits are surging. I'm wondering if their P.E. ratios uh, aren't even shrinking, because it doesn't seem to me, and I don't follow them that closely. I follow the earnings of seven companies, and, and two of those three that you just mentioned are in that seven. The earnings are skyrocketing, but the, I don't think the share prices have moved up that much. How about the XAU and a couple of those big indexes overall? Have they broken any? Are they into a Yeah, they were, they were leading to a position levels? where they were going to break out the other day. The one I like to find, and our listeners should look at this, is the GDXJ. That's the junior companies, GDXJ. And the GDXJ will show an index where a select group of 10 junior stocks are headed basically on a uh, on, on the index as far as a rise or, or a sell. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, they've either been flat to slightly up. Uh, we're looking for them to be up probably uh, this Friday simply because gold is going up, and we're seeing the nibbling on some of the shares that are included in that index. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that the big concern that I continue to have, and I guess what makes it difficult, this market, is this this overhang of debt, and the European situation is far from solved. Uh, we have, you know, we have rumors of bailouts and things happening, and then the risk trade is back on, and people start to take advantage of it. But again, it's not doesn't seem to be driven from real economics. It seems to be driven more by speculative behavior. Money is pumped into the banking system. It's not being lent out, but I think it's probably being used to a great extent by hedge funds, and uh, it's it's just not a healthy situation, wouldn't you think? No, I would agree with that. And, and while we see a rising market for an intermediate situation or, or shorter term this month in, in December, uh, I think that we're going to be okay probably January to May. I think at the end of May we get the sell in May annual event. I don't think it's going to be a big bust down. I think it'll be maybe a 10 to 15 percent. But I'm extremely concerned about the second half of 2012 simply because there's so much tightening in the bond market. You can see it in the spreads. Uh, Germany had a failed auction. The last three auctions went badly with Bernanke. Uh, the bond market is not a place where a lot of people want to be right now. Consequently, uh, you know, the money part of it, the currencies, the debt, the bonds, all of that is a, a wet blanket which overhangs what we are trying to do. Yeah. Well, Roger, I know you're talking because you're a trader and you uh, are looking short-term. What are your charts telling you about the long-term prospects for the Dow? Is the bear market, uh, the secular bear market that began, some people argue, began in 2000 over with? No, I, I agree. It started in 2000, but it was extended because Mr. Greenspan fiddled with interest rates and pumped housing. And I think basically what he did, there should have been a crash in 2000 when the NASDAQ went off 80 or 90 percent. It didn't happen because Greenspan jumped in and dropped the interest rates, pumped the housing, and they threw money in, Federal Reserve did, to the extent that everything continued to linger and levitate, but it finally hit the wall in 2008, eight years later, and all it's done now is extend the big problem, and we're going to get hit hard. I can see I put Wilshire charts in my newsletter this week, weekly and monthly, and they, are, they just look like they're hanging up in midair, and getting ready to slide down the hill. All the negative indicators are there, but keep in mind, Jay, these things always take longer than we think. I mean, uh, Jim Turk and I were both trying to trade the bond short a long time ago, yeah. and when he tried three times, I tried two, two times, and we couldn't do it simply because there was too much fiddling around, so we stay out of it. 
Yeah. But is that going to happen? Yes, it is. I think the bond char- the bonds are going to fall drastically, and when they do, a whole bunch of things are going to unravel. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're almost out of time here, Roger. I just uh, want to remind our listeners. Uh, in fact, I think my engineer is telling me this is. Oh no, we're gonna ha- we have a little bit more time. Uh, okay, we got thirty seconds, Roger. So, so over the next few days, then you're bullish on on basically everything. Yes, right? yes. Uh, wave three up on the metals right now. Next couple of days should continue on for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll probably have a mild correction thereafter with more uh, rising markets in in December. Stock markets higher. Uh, junior stocks should do better. Okay. Well, there's never any guarantees, of course, on these on these things. Uh, we're looking at probabilities, and that's the way Roger sees it most likely. Uh, nobody's going to, uh, Roger, I don't think anybody's going to say that you're infallible, but uh, certainly you have a good track record. So um, thank you for your opinions on, on those uh, markets, very important markets to our listeners. Folks, don't go away. We do have to take a break, and then I'll be right back with a very quick wrap-up on today's show and next week's show. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Thank you, Jay. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to it's just a ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We've got just a couple of minutes here. I'm going to make a couple of comments about the junior gold sector. I was here at the San Francisco Hard Asset Show here uh, at the uh, Marriott Marquis in San Francisco, where I'm talking to you uh, now. And uh, it, w- it was a good show. Lots of uh, very interesting companies. Uh, lots of uh, companies now. We've had a bull market, at least in nominal terms, uh, that dates back to about uh, 2003 or so. And lots of money has gone into the ground. We're seeing lots of new companies uh, start to produce, uh, uh, several new companies start to produce, and, in fact. And uh, I think there are some that I'm that I'm very excited about, one that's not a sponsor of this show right now, but one that I think is very worth your attention is Dynacor. Uh, Dynacor is a company that is producing and earned five cents a share last quarter. The earnings are growing. They're selling at about 80 cents, uh, certainly something that you might want to take a look at. I think uh, Sandstorm is a company that I love very, very much. It's a company, they're not either a sponsor of this show, but they are a company that is employing the silver Wheaton model uh, in the gold sector. And I believe that their earnings are going to start to rise very, very dramatically. They are producing very nice profits. And still another company that I like a lot that had been a sponsor in the past once was uh, was, uh, um, was Sandgold. And Sandgold, I believe, uh, George Peary talked to us on this show some time ago and talked about uh, exponential growth in the resources. Well, my, see, my time is almost up, so I've got to... Thank um, Tacey Trump for uh, for uh, her help as uh, my senior executive producer. I want to also thank Justin Jackman, my engineer. Next week's guest is going to be Jack Crooks. He's uh, with the Weiss organization. Jack believes that the dollar has seen its lows. Uh, we're going to ask him why. I think this is very important because it has ramifications for all of our investments. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is real.